Good evening and welcome to A Taste of Torah, where the Jewish community comes together to listen and to learn. Each Tuesday evening, we'll be exploring the depths of Torah in a unique and challenging way. I'm Zalman Umlis, and we're happy you could share part of your day with us. Judaism certainly does not posit vegetarianism as a normative lifestyle. Clearly, no Jew is obligated to become a vegetarian. The question is whether vegetarianism has any particular moral status insofar as Judaism is concerned. Its value as a moral desideratum can be acknowledged only if support is found for vegetarianism within the corpus of the written or the oral law. It is clear to us that the body of Jewish ritual law is accepted and practiced only because it is the revealed word of God. Judaism, however, goes a step beyond and asserts that even matters of ethics and morality are endowed with validity only if they are divinely revealed. The 15th century scholar Rabbi Ovadia of Bartinura pointed out this principle in his commentary on Pirkei Avos. The tractate of Pirkei Avos begins with the statement, Moshe kibel Torah misinai umesorah Yoshua. Moses received the Torah at Sinai and passed it on to Joshua, who in turn passed it on to the elders, and so on. Rabbi Ovadia comments that this statement would be an appropriate one with which to open the entire book of the Mishnah, but it seems out of place inserted here as an introduction to a tractate in the middle of the Mishnah. He points out that Pirkei Avos is a tractate which deals almost exclusively with ethics and not normative law. Therefore, it was here that the sages saw fit to make the point that these are not simply words of moral advice composed by wise men of vast life experience. Rather, these ethical imperatives are part of the body of Torah that was delivered to us at Sinai, and that is the reason why we abide by them. It is by this measure that the Jew examines any apparently moral system which is set before them, and it is with this approach that A Taste of Torah tonight examines the subject of vegetarianism. Sparing the light of the brute animal may appear to the human mind as being morally righteous, but how is it viewed by the divine lens of Torah? Speaking with us will be Rabbi Dr. J. David Bleich. Rosh Yeshiva at Yeshiva University and Professor of Law at the Benjamin Cardozo School of Law. We'll return with our program right after this. Tonight on A Taste of Torah, we're looking at the Torah's viewpoint of vegetarianism. This evening we're hearing from Rabbi Dr. J. David Blythe. Spokesmen for vegetarianism claim that abstention from the consumption of animal products is an ideal to which all mankind ought to aspire. In an attempt to substantiate their belief, they point to a source in the book of Genesis. Rabbi Bleich begins. Many individuals who have addressed the subject of vegetarianism have sought to find support for that lifestyle 
as one to which man and Jews should aspire because of the fact that the sages of the Talmud recognized that the flesh of animals was forbidden to Adam and permitted only to Noah after the deluge. That statement is clearly formulated by the Gemara in Sanhedrin. And some writers have regarded the statement as reflecting the notion that primeval man was denied the flesh of animals because of the enhanced moral status of man in that early period of human history. Permission to eat the flesh of animals was granted only to Noah, they argue, because subsequent to Adam's sin, his banishment from the Garden of Eden, and the degeneration of subsequent generations, man could no longer be held to such lofty moral standards. Nevertheless, they argue, man ought to aspire to the highest levels of moral conduct and, consistent with such a value system, man, if he is capable of doing so, ought to renounce the eating of the flesh of animals. Indeed, the classical biblical commentators found entirely different explanations for the change which occurred with regard to dietary regulations. They found other reasons explaining why it is that the consumption of the meat of animals was permitted only to Noah. For example, Rabbi Jacob ben Osher, the author of the Tur Shulchan Oruch, in his commentary on Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, explains that prior to partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, Adam lacked any desire for meat. Only subsequent to eating of the forbidden fruit did man acquire a carnivorous nature. Hence, the dispensation granted to Noah to eat the flesh of animals simply reflects man's transformed biological needs. Adam did not need meat, therefore he was not given the flesh of animals as food. Noah required it biologically, therefore it was made available and rendered permissible to him. The Malbum, in his uh, commentary, remarks that Adam was endowed with what he calls a strong constitution and that the produce available in the Garden of Eden was nutritionally optimal in nature. Under such circumstances, Adam's dietary needs could be satisfied without recourse to meat. Only as mankind degenerated physically as well as spiritually, and as man became geographically dispersed and subject to the vagaries of climates in different areas of the world, and as the quality of available produce became nutritionally inferior, only then did it become necessary for man in this weakened physical state to supplement his diet with animal products in order to assure that he would receive the nutrients 
required for his biological needs. Interestingly, Jewish law contains a number of specific injunctions to ensure that animals be treated in a humane manner. Among these are the obligation to see to the feeding of one's domestic animals before partaking of food oneself, and the obligation to give one's animal a respite from work on the Shabbos. Is there any indication in Jewish sources that it is advisable as well to spare animals from slaughter and partake only of vegetable products? An examination of the writings of rabbinic scholars yields three distinct attitudes regarding vegetarianism, as Rabbi Black discusses. The first attitude is predicated on the statement of the Gemara in Psochim, which declares that an Amhoris, an ignoramus, ought not to partake of meat. Zeis teras habehema. This is the law of the animal. Whoever engages in the study of the law, comments the Gemara, is permitted to eat the flesh of animals. But whoever does not engage in the study of Torah may not eat the flesh of animals. Now certainly this text should not be construed as declaring that meat is permitted only to the scholar as a reward for his erudition or diligence in study. The Marsha, in his commentary on the Gemara, indicates that this statement simply reflects a concern for scrupulous observance of the minutiae of the dietary code. The ignoramus is not proficient in the myriad rules and regulations governing the eating of meat, including the differentiation between kosher and non-kosher species, the porging of forbidden fat and veins, soaking and salting of meat, etc. Only the scholar who has mastered those rules and regulations can eat meat with a clear conscience. So that, historically, there certainly have been individuals who, depending upon circumstances of time and place, did deny themselves meat. And that is certainly one attitude which one finds in rabbinic scholarship with regard to vegetarianism. Those individuals became, in effect, vegetarians, not because of the ethical implications of our carnivorous diet, but because of their concern for inadvertent transgression of provisions of the dietary code. For example, during the early part of the 20th century, many pious immigrants to the United States refused to eat meat because of the lax standards of kashrus supervision then prevalent in this country. Those individuals adopted vegetarianism as a lifestyle, but they did so because of concern for the observance of the technicalities of religious law and not because of moral considerations. A second attitude is espoused by the medieval scholars Rabbi Yitzchak Abarbanel and Rabbi Yosef Albo, author of the Sefer HaIkrim. Rabbi Bleich explains the view of these esteemed Torah philosophers. Those two authorities regard vegetarianism as a moral ideal, 
but not because of a concern for the welfare of animals. Rather, because of the fact that the slaughter of animals might cause the individual who performs the act of killing the animal to develop negative character traits, such as meanness and cruelty. Their concern was clearly with regard to possible deleterious effect upon human character rather than a concern for animal welfare. Indeed, Alba in the Safari Agreement maintains that renunciation of the consumption of meat for reason of concern for animal welfare is not only morally erroneous, but is even repugnant to Jewish teaching. Albo asserts that this was precisely the intellectual error committed by Cain, and that it was this error that was the root cause of Cain's act in killing his brother Abel. Remember that the Bible tells us that Cain brought a sacrifice of the produce of the land, while his brother Abel offered a sacrifice from the animals of his flock. Albo declares that Cain did not offer an animal sacrifice because he regarded men and animals as equals. He felt that he had no right to take the life of an animal even as an act of divine worship. Cain's error was so serious that God rejected his sacrifice totally and completely. According to Albo, Cain failed to understand the reason for the rejection of his sacrifice, and he continued to assume that his own value system was correct, but that in the eyes of God, animal sacrifice was intrinsically superior to the offering of the produce. He was led to the even more grievous conclusion that just as man is entitled to take the life of an animal, so also is he entitled to take the life of his fellow man. This position, Albo asserts, was adopted by succeeding generations as well, and it was precisely the notion that man and animals are equal that led not to the renunciation of causing harm to animals and to concern for their welfare, but rather to the notion that violence against one's fellow man was as acceptable as violence against animals. The inevitable result was a total breakdown of the social order, which ultimately culminated in punishment by means of the flood. Subsequent to the flood, meat was permitted to Noah in order to impress upon mankind the superiority of man over members of the animal kingdom. You give us 30 minutes and we'll give you the world to come. A Taste of Torah continues right after this. This evening on A Taste of Torah, we're learning about the Torah's viewpoint of vegetarianism. Tonight we're hearing from Rabbi Dr. J. David Blythe. A third view which is expressed on the topic was adopted by the late Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak Cook. 
Rabbi Blech presents it for us. Rabbi Cook is the one modern-day rabbinic scholar who is often cited as looking upon vegetarianism with extreme favor. In fact, some individuals who have written about vegetarianism have claimed that Rabbi Cook was himself a vegetarian. We have, however, the testimony of his own son who tells us that that was simply not the case. It is true that in his writings, Rabbi Cook speaks of vegetarianism as an ideal and points to the fact that Adam did not partake of the flesh of animals. In context, however, Rabbi Cook makes positive comments with regard to vegetarianism only in his portrayal of the eschatological era. Rabbi Cook espouses the Kabbalistic view that in days to come, the so-called lower animals will be endowed with intelligence similar to that possessed by man in the present era. He regards man's moral state in that eschatological period as being akin to that of Adam before his sin, and he views the renunciation of animal flesh as part of the heightened moral awareness which will be manifest at that time. In other words, Rabbi Cook posits vegetarianism as a moral ideal, but as a moral ideal toward which man cannot presently aspire, a moral ideal which man can accept only with the coming of the Messiah. Rabbi Cook is not only emphatic, he is vehement in admonishing that vegetarianism dare not be adopted as a norm of human conduct prior to the advent of the Messiah. In fact, Rabbi Cook advances four different arguments renouncing vegetarianism as a goal to which mankind should presently aspire. First, addressing himself to members of the vegetarian movement, Rabbi Cook remarks almost facetiously that one might surmise that all problems of human welfare have been resolved and that the sole remaining area of concern is animal welfare. In effect, his argument is that there ought to be a proper ordering of priorities. He's quite explicit in stating that enmity between nations and racial discrimination should be of greater moral concern to mankind than the well-being of animals, and that only when such matters have been rectified should the tension be turned to questions of animal welfare. His second argument is, given the present nature of the human condition, it is impossible for man to sublimate his desire for meat. The inevitable result of promoting vegetarianism as a normative standard of human conduct, argues Rabbi Cook, will be that man will violate this norm in seeking self-gratification. Once taking the life of animals is regarded as equal in abhorrence to taking the life of man, it will come to place that in this pursuit of meat, 
man will regard cannibalism as no more heinous than the consumption of the flesh of animals. The result, says Rabbi Cook, will be not enhanced respect for the life of animals, but rather debasement of human life. The third argument advanced by Rabbi Cook is that man was granted dominion over animals, including the right to take their lives for man's own benefit, in order to oppress upon man his spiritual superiority and heightened moral obligations. Were animals to be accorded the same rights as human beings, argues Rabbi Cook, man would rapidly degenerate to the level of animals and would assume that he is bound by standards of morality no different from those espoused by brute creatures. His fourth argument is perhaps most telling. In an insightful psychological observation, Rabbi Cook remarks that even individuals who are morally degenerate seek to channel their natural moral instincts in some direction. Frequently, they seek to give expression to moral drives by becoming particularly scrupulous with regard to some specific aspect of moral behavior. With almost prescient knowledge of future events, Rabbi Cook argues that were vegetarianism to become the norm, people might become quite callous with regard to human welfare and human life, but still express their instinctive moral feelings in an exaggerated concern for moral welfare. Those comments summon to mind the spectacle of Germans watching with equanimity while their neighbors were dispatched to concentration camps and crematoria, and immediately thereafter turned their attention to the welfare of the household pets that these victims left behind. A writer recently commented sharply on the misplaced morality identified with vegetarianism and stated that attempts by such groups to prohibit the use of live animals in biomedical research will surely result in the replacement of animal subjects with human subjects. It seems clear from the sources we have examined that the philosophy which forms the basis of vegetarianism is not acceptable as a divine imperative according to the Torah. Vegetarianism as an ideal state for mankind is an idea to be reserved for the messianic era. Does this imply, however, that an individual is required to partake of meat by Jewish law? Rabbi Black concludes. It does not follow from the opinions that have been cited that vegetarianism is decried by Judaism as a valid lifestyle for at least some individuals. There are, to be sure, individuals who are repulsed by the prospect of consuming the flesh of a living creature. It is not the case that an individual declines to partake of meat is ipso facto guilty of a violation of the Jewish code of morality. On the contrary, Scripture states, and you will say, I will eat meat because your soul desires to eat meat. 
with all the desire of your soul, may you eat meat. The implication is that meat may be consumed when there is desire, an appetite for meat as food. But meat not be eaten when there is no desire, and a fortiori when it is found to be repugnant. The question is a matter of perspective. Concern arises only when such conduct is elevated to the level of a moral norm. An individual's subjective repugnance at the prospect of consuming the flesh of an animal is an aesthetic response rather than a moral reaction. Repugnance is a matter of taste. Taste is subjective. Taste is not moral. It becomes a moral position only when expressed in advocating the adoption of such norms of conduct by others as well. Jewish tradition does not command carnivorous behavior. It rejects the notion that at least during the current historical epoch, renunciation of the eating of meat should be posited as a moral ideal for mankind. You don't have to go to yeshiva to learn Torah. If you're curious about the fascinating world of the Talmud, if you've longed for the opportunity to discover the challenge of learning Mishnah with commentary, if you'd like to be better informed on Jewish law and customs, more knowledgeable about the richness of our philosophy and traditions, I've got good news for you. Now there's an easy way to get into Jewish learning, Luach and Limud, the English language pocket Torah diary. Join the largest Torah study fraternity in America. Receive 12 regular monthly issues of Luach Limud by sending $25 to Luach Limud, OU, 45 West 36th Street, New York, New York, 10018. The Orthodox Union, the OU, the giant in Torah action in America, invites you to join in an adventure of Jewish renewal and renaissance by becoming an individual member of the Orthodox Union. Become a partner in NCSY's 400 regional youth events and seminars. It's Yachad for the developmentally disabled. It's our way for the Jewish deaf. Help sponsor 100 adult retreats, Shabbatons, and Yachikala across the United States. Identify with the world-famous OU Kashrus program. Help establish new synagogues. Reach out with Torah across America. Orthodox Union membership is $36 per year. You'll receive Jewish Action Magazine, containing articles on Jewish living and contemporary issues, and the latest kashros and public affairs information, the kosher directory, and the annual Passover directory, and a special gift, the pocket calendar diary, bound in leatherette, containing an expanded prayer section. Join today by sending $36 to Membership, OU, 45 West 36th Street, New York, New York, 10018. We hope that this Taste of Torah tape has helped you to understand a little bit more about a vital aspect of our Jewish heritage. If you enjoyed this recording, we'd like to send you our free brochure which describes the other tapes that are available. Send us a postcard with your name and address to A Taste of Torah, 45 West 36th Street, New York, New York, 10018. 
We invite you to join us at A Taste of Torah each Tuesday evening as we continue to explore the depths of Torah in a unique and challenging way. That's Tuesday evenings at 10.30 on WEVD, 98 on the FM dial for A Taste of Torah.